Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. This is going to be episode 89, and we're going to do the readings for um, the 29th Sunday of Ordinary Time. I believe I'm correct about that. I hope I'm not confused. Let's see here. Hold on. I should double check, right? All right. Um... Yes, I am right. 29th Sunday of Ordinary Time. My name is Nechabar, and this is the Informed Catholic, and this is going to be episode 89. <clears throat> so, um, in today's readings, uh, we're going to hear our Lord uh, speak to us about an unceasing prayer, meaning prayer without ceasing, to pray constantly uh, for God to answer us, to uh, answer our prayers. We're not asking him like if he's a genie. No, he will answer our prayers and in his own good time, in his own good time. Anyway, let's begin with the act of contrition. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, ever virgin, and all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty, uh, to pray for me and with me to the Lord our God. Excuse me. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, Heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Only Begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, um... We're getting pretty close to uh, Advent soon. Um, we're still a bit of a way. And um, we're going to um, begin the new liturgical year because Advent will be the start of the new liturgical year. And um, it's a, a good time. Uh, well, pretty soon um, I'll be beginning the whole... Uh, another season of the Informed Catholic. 
I've been exploring a lot uh, many re recently um, to really develop a good um, apologetics, a good way to evangelize, a good way of being an ambassador of Christ to talk about the faith. You know, um, I, I have to say it's really difficult because there's some catechisms I've noticed, you know, uh, 10 books has a lot of different stuff they print. And I have to say with all honesty, I don't think a lot of the stuff from the past is very helpful. I was just talking to my friend Henry and, uh, I'm going to introduce it uh, here. It's called a brief catechism for adults. I might have mentioned it in a, in a past podcast, I believe. And um, it's. I want to talk about this before the reading begins. It is. Let me see. When was this printed? Uh, the language sounds British. Um, has a style to it. Let me see here. Uh, okay, Brief Catechism for Adults, a complete handbook on how to be a good Catholic by Father William J. Cogan, C-O-G-A-N. Um, it's definitely um, interesting. Let me see here. When was this? Look at the back cover. Uh, well, it's actually, here it is. Ready? Copyright 1958. It's not England, but I'm going to take a guess. The fellow might, uh, who knows? He might be from England. Um, published 1958 under the title Catechism for Adults. Um, Adult Catechal Teaching Aids, Foundation Chicago, a non, a not-for-profit foundation under the supervision of Archbishop of Chicago. This t uh, this type of this. Okay, well, nineteen fifty-eight. I'm not exactly. Uh, it's not really that great. I mean, I'll give you an example here. Ready? What is the purpose uh, of this lesson? To fill what is missing in the lives of so many people, the knowledge and practice of true religion. Why is, okay, question two. Why is religion the most important study you can take up? Because God expects us to know what he has taught and what he wants you to do in this life. And it has, of course, each, uh, there's some quote of scripture. What is religion? Religion consists of two parts, believing everything God has told the human race two, observing all our duties to God, yourself and your fellow man. Okay. So the problem here is it, it's, it doesn't expect, it doesn't really answer that. That's like, Can you honestly, does that inspire you to really want to know? 
okay, what, you know, does that inspire anyone to really want to know what true religion is? Because in this day and age where we live in a uh, relativistic society, inclusive society, where people believe there are many different paths to God, there are many different uh, truths, there are many different faiths, and all faiths are the same, all religions really uh, the main purpose of every religion is to teach you how to be a good person. Does that really sound inspiring? No. Um, and this is unfortunately a lot of the rad trads hold on to this. You know, because really it doesn't really challenge you. It doesn't challenge you at all. Can, you know, does it really challenge you to want to believe in God? I mean, you know, I would say that there's probably more with Father John A. Horden's SJ, uh, the question and answer Catholic catechism. But even there, you got to ask yourself, like, what is it like, really, what is the purpose? What is what every human person wants? To be happy. The Catechism of the Catholic Church. And even then, like, we still have to, like, really push people to really want to know. Um, here. You know, the one I'm using. Okay. This is the, the one that a lot of the trads don't like. They really, the one, John Paul II and Benedict. All right. It, the first part here. Uh, profession of faith part one to begin our profession of faith by saying I believe or we believe okay before expounding the church's faith as confessed in the, in the creed celebrated in the liturgy and lived in observance of God's commandments and in prayer we must first look at first ask what to believe means faith is man's response to God who reveals himself and gives himself to man. Faith is man's response to God, who get and, and reveals himself and gives himself to man. At the same time, bringing man a superabundant light, as he searches for the ultimate meaning of his life. Okay, right there is a challenge. The first, per, the first, is God reveals Himself to us. God reveals Himself to us. Okay, and first we have to expand what what faith what I believe means, and what is faith? Exactly, we got the answer. Faith is God revealing Himself to man. Response, you know, uh, faith is. I'm sorry, faith is man's response to God. Okay, fa faith is man's response to God, because God first has to reveal Himself to us. We won't. We can't. You know, we. Um. It's our response to him. God reveals himself to us. God reveals himself to us. He opens up the door and he calls out. God called out to Abraham. God revealed himself to Noah. And we respond. We respond back to God.
the the adult catechism um doesn't really in a sense maybe it was different at a time but 1958 really i mean that's like you know seven literally uh not my mom was born 1951 and 1958 is just we're barely in you know we're just about to go into the 60s and remember soon vatican ii will start in a couple of years so I have to say with honestly, I think maybe they really weren't challenging themselves back then. Maybe that's why we got into the mess we have today. Hubris. Hubris, really. Got too comfortable. There's a lot now that was that's going on. And we, we have to realize there's a lot, there's a shortage. Young people aren't coming to mass. All right? They're not staying in the church. They don't feel, I mean, I was watching one guy, he's a Canadian and you know, it's funny now, some of the people from the, from the baby boomers, they're actually, they, they're starting to think that songs like we are one body, one body in Christ, they're calling it traditional songs, traditional hymns. They're not traditional. All right. They're not traditional at all. You know, or songs like here I come, Lord. Uh, I am here, Lord. Things like that. That's not traditional. These were like written sometime, maybe, you know, maybe some of them in the 70s, some of them in the 80s and stuff like that. But it's not really traditional. They, that's not traditional. I mean, if you want to go back, you got to go back to things that are really timeless and has endured. And, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm for Latin. I'm for from a more reverent Novus Ordo. I like to have a Novus Ordo with more reverence. And I think there's a lot, you know, definitely that you can bring in from the traditional Latin mass to the Novus Ordo to improve the Novus Ordo, to make it more reverent and more beautiful. And a lot of young people really would rather respond. Maybe, I mean, I know a lot of them like to go to the Latin mass, I still prefer the readings of the Novus Ordo. I think they're better. I think those two can be improved. Basically. But you need but we need to realize something is that the fact is the all the stuff that came after the the Vatican II and the stuff that went into the 60 late 60s and and early 70s with the Novus Ordo Mass is that the modernism is constantly doubting itself. It does not really, I mean, basically look at it this way. This guy said it great, great in, the, in, this, in his uh, um, YouTube channel. As a matter of fact, I think I want to send it to my friend Henry. The songs of the 1960s and 70s got old and they fooled, you know, they fooled them. It fooled the, the traditions of the 1960s and 70s were already old while trying to pretend to be young. 
they were already in a state of 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 decay because modernism is always constantly doubting and saying they said no to the past and now the very the very standards they used to judge the the past is being used against against them and they have nothing to give they have nothing to give to the youth today meanwhile people like my friend henry and others catechists who are trying to teach the faith are being suppressed you know you know a lot of people basically are just you know they're using dead formula they're not challenging these young people of why there is a god what is faith what is the desire for god how do we know we have the desire for god in our hearts anyway we should start the reading right all right let me stop now and i'll get back next time with you know with another podcast where we'll probably go into these questions okay god bless let's begin the readings a reading from the book of exodus chapter 17 verse 8 to 13 as long as Moses kept his hands raised up, Israel had the better of the fight. In those days, Amalek came and waged war against Israel. Moses therefore said to Joshua, Pick out certain men, and tomorrow go out and engage Amalek in battle. I will be standing on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand, so Joshua did as Moses told him. He gauged Amalek in battle after Moses had climbed to the top of the hill with Aaron and Hur. As long as Moses kept his hands raised up, Israel had the better of the fight. But when he let his hands rest, Amalek had the better of the fight. Moses' hands, however, grew tired. So they, took, they put a rock in place for him to sit on. Meanwhile, Aaron Hur supported his hands, one on, on one side and one on the, the, the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. And Joshua mowed down Amalek and his people with the edge of, of the sword. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. The book of Exodus, chapter 17, verse 8 to 13. All right, one more time. In those days, Amalek came and waged war against Israel. Moses therefore said to Joshua, Pick out certain men, and tomorrow go out and engage Amalek in battle. I will be standing on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him he engaged Amalek in battle. After Moses had climbed to the top of the hill with Aaron and Hur, as long as Moses kept his hands raised up, Israel had the better of the fight. But when he let his hands rest, Amalek had the better of the fight. Moses' hands, however, grew tired, so they put a rock in place for him to sit on. Meanwhile, Aaron and her 
uh, supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. And Joshua mowed down Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, now the psalm, responsorial psalm, Psalm 121. Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I lift up my eyes toward the mountains. When shall shall help come to me? My help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. May he not suffer you suffer your foot to slip may he may he slumber not who guards you indeed he neither slumbers nor sleeps the guardian of israel our help is from the lord who made heaven and earth our help is from the lord who made heaven and earth the lord is your guardian the lord is your shade he is beside you at your right hand the sun shall not harm you by day nor the moon by night. Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Lord will guard you from all evil. He will guard your life. The Lord will guard your coming and your going, both now and forever. Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Okay, second reading is from... um, Paul's second letter to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 14, uh, to chapter 4, verse 2. One who belongs to God may be competent, equipped for every good work. A reading from the second letter of St. Paul to Timothy. Beloved, remain faithful to what you have learned and believed, because you know from whom you learned it, and that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which are capable of giving you wisdom for salvation through faith in christ jesus all scripture is inspired by god and is useful for teaching for refutation for correction and for training in righteousness so that one who belongs to god may be competent equipped for every good work Okay, hold on, just want to make sure. All right. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingly power, proclaim the proclaim the word. Be persistent, whether it is convenient or inconvenient. Uh, convince, uh, reprimand, encourage through all patience and teaching. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. um, A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 18, verse 1 to 8. God will secure the rights of his chosen ones who call out to him. Jesus told his disciples a parable about the necessity for them to pray always without becoming weary. He said, 
There was a judge in a certain town who neither feared God nor respected any human being. And a widow in, in that town used to come to him and say, Render a just decision for me against my adversary. For a long time the judge was unwilling, but eventually he thought, While it is true that I neither fear God nor respect any human being, because this widow keeps bothering me, I shall deliver a just decision for her. Least she finally come and strike me. The Lord said, Pay attention to what the dishonest judge says. says. Will not God then secure the rights of his chosen ones who call out to him day and night? Will he be slow to answer them? I tell you, he will see to it that justice is done for them especially, speedily. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. One more time. Jesus told his disciples a parable about the necessity for them to pray always without becoming weary. He said there was a judge in a certain town who neither feared God nor respected any human being. And a widow in that town used to come to him and say, Render a just decision for me according to my, against my adversary. For a long time the judge was unwilling, but eventually he thought, While it is true that I neither fear God nor respect any human being because this widow keeps bothering me, I shall deliver a just decision for her. Least she finally come and strike me. The Lord said, pay attention to what the, the dishonest judge says. Will not God then secure the rights of his chosen ones who call out to him day and night? Will he be slow to answer them? I tell you, he will see to it that justice is done for them, especially when the Son of Man comes. Will he find faith on earth? The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so this is very interesting, these readings, right? The first one we have of Exodus, where uh, the Israelites were engaged in a battle with the Amalekites. And um, Moses is on the hilltop, and Aaron and this man by the name of Hur... If, I can, if I'm correct, I think this her might be an ancestor of our Lord. Uh, I think he's one of the ones who, uh, craftsmen who helped put together the um, the, uh, the tabernacle and maybe the Ark of the Covenant. Don't take me correctly on this one, but I, my, but I believe he could be. I may be wrong. But anyway, Moses is on there and Joshua it took a few men and to confront and engage in battle the Amalekites. And while they're engaging in battle, Moses is on the hilltop and he's holding his arms up with the staff, the staff that he used to, you know, to perform all the miracles and, you know, the Red Sea and everything. And his arms are holding the staff up. In time, Moses' arms were getting tired. Well, they gave him a rock to sit on. 
and he had to hold his arm. His arms had to come down. Both her and Aaron, one on each side, held his arms up like a form of a crucifixion. Meanwhile, Joshua, who is a type figure, picture figure of Jesus Christ, who has the same name, Yeshua, Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, same name, um, is is engaging in battle with the Amalekites. And every time Moses got tired, his arm came down, uh, the Amalekites would have the upper hand. But when um, he lifts his arms back up and he had to have um, Aaron and her hold his arms up while he sat down, you know, his arms up in form of prayer, and also surrender to God, to God's will. Moses, uh, Joshua and uh, his team, his soldiers, would, ha would, would gain back the upper hand. And this was done all the way into sunset, until finally Joshua and his men won the battle. Um, it's a form of prayer, but it's also a type figure of Christ and his saints interceding because Aaron and her are also up there with him and they themselves are in the pre uh, a type figure of saints who will intercede for the faithful on earth you know i i probably would have picked that passage of the cloud of witnesses you know as as a as a second reading Right, I probably would have picked that up. I think rather than the one uh, on Timothy, because it matched the idea that we have, we know, we you know, a cloud of witnesses praying for us. Because remember, then in the passage, like when on the transfiguration, our Lord transfigured, and then Moses and Elisha, Elijah, Elijah, with appeared with him. Because they were concerned about what his what his duty uh, about him uh, fulfilling his mission in Jerusalem, but just the same, it's it's you know, it's perfect. So in the um, Psalm, we have Psalm one hundred twenty one. I lift up my eyes toward the mountains. When shall come to? Uh, Whence shall help come to me? My help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know, we look, um, you know, in this world, like you see in with the Amalekites, the Amalekites are a picture of sin, of the adversaries of the world, Satan and the non-believers, those who persecute us, those who, who hound us down, who, uh, who hate our faith, and hate God. They hate God and they hate the people of God. And they're constantly always coming after us. You know, yes, it can be exhausting praying like Moses. Moses is up there and the staff is a type picture of God's authority, the word of God and the cross. It is the type picture of crucifixion. Him on the mountain is a type picture of the crucifixion. 
in in many ways. And you could say like Moses and Aaron are a type picture in a sense, almost like the two thieves who, who the two thieves who were crucified with him, but they were not. They were they're believers. I mean, not Joshua and Aaron, Aaron and her. And but they're a picture of the saints, really. The saints who themselves have embraced the cross of Christ. Like all of us, every single one of us have to embrace the cross of Christ. We also have to embrace trials, right? And the people and Joshua and all his men are on earth are also, again, Christ with us, Joshua, God with us in battle. Because Christ, you know, remember like what he said to St. Paul, why do you keep persecuting me? Why do you keep coming? You know, why do you keep hounding me? Because when you hound, when you, when you persecute my followers, you're persecuting me. Because remember, we are all members of the body of Christ. And this is true. This is, this is what it's all about. This is, this is, this is a, a fact. And, you know, we, we have to engage with combat, spiritual combat, and in many cases, physical combat, you know, in some cases, physical combat, not that we, you know, we're, we're, uh, you know, looking to, to, we want physical, but we mean by, we have to endure persecution. We have to endure persecution from, from this world. And so therefore, you know, the Amalekites are a representation of the world the opposition against Christ, the opposition against Christ and his followers. And so therefore we must engage in combat. We have to face all these things in this world. Then we go to uh, Paul's uh, letter, second letter to Timothy. Remain faithful to what you have learned and believed because you know from what you have learned, you, you know from what you have learned and from infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures which are capable of giving you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God, useful in teaching for refutation, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that one who belongs to God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead, and by his appear, appearing and his kingly power, proclaim the words persistent, whether it is convenient or inconvenient, convince, reprimand, encourage through all patience and teaching. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I probably would have chosen a, a different reading, but I didn't choose the reading. So this reading basically because we have to regardless i'm going to make a i'm going to make a comment on it the reading is important because one of the biggest things we've lost is a christian heritage is a christian childhood many of our uh, of our young people I myself didn't grow up in that kind of environment. I didn't grow up in an environment of a Christian life, of a Christian culture, and a, a culture of faith. Not, not culture as just an exterior culture with traditions and customs, but an actual culture of faith, a childhood of faith. Okay, where a child grows up learning the scriptures, 
learning the faith, learning the sacred traditions that in a sense gives gives him or her the proper tools to face in an unbelieving world, in a world that is hostile towards faith. You know, you you know, we think that, you know, just because sending the kids to public school and then sending them to, to Sunday school on the weekend or something, that this is going to help them. No, it's not. It's not going to help them. Because the public school system is hostile towards faith. The, the public school system does not want them to grow up learning the faith. The public school system is hostile. It's hostile towards religion. Just recently, um, uh, Dr. Steve Turley, uh, Turley Talks on YouTube, showed that in Dearborn, Michigan, where uh, Michigan, a very blue democratic district, the bluest of all blue districts in the United States, which majority of them, I think I might have some family members there, who living there in Dearborn, Michigan, uh, the Muslims are now in uh, in conflict with the public school system. Uh, the Muslim community does not like the fact that the public school system has been engaging, teaching their children woke nonsense, woke garbage, basically LGBTQ, transgenderism, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And the they're now in 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 lockheads and you know literally coming down on the public school system and want to vote them out okay this shows you exactly why it's important that we as christians should take a stance of gaining of gaining back i think just as there's a separation between church and state there should be a separation between school and uh education and the state because what they want, because here's the, here's the thing, the Democrats do not look, do not care for any religion. They don't care about Christianity. They don't care about Judaism. They don't care about Hinduism. They don't care about, uh, uh, you know, uh, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, or any, or any, even Islam. Okay. They, why are they so hostile towards Judeo-Christian values, Judeo-Christian religion? But they're okay, they're, they're respectful and defend the rights of, let's say, majority of Muslims, right? They, they talk about the rights, the civil rights of Muslims, the civil rights uh, about Muslim and their rights. Why are they so, um, uh, let's say, even respectful and say, talk about, let's say, Hinduism, Buddhism. We'll even talk about the rights, let's say, of Wicca, witchcraft. Because technically, here's the thing you have to understand. Democrats really don't care about the religion of Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism. What they see is a culture. They treat Islam as a culture instead of looking at it both as a culture and a religion. I remember, I came from a Muslim background, so I know this. Islam is a culture, meaning a civilization and a religion, not to technic technically ethnic, because there are many different kinds of Muslims. A lot of people make this mistake, even a lot of friends of mine, they can't tell the difference between Shiite Islam or Iranians 
and they're Arabs. Iranians and Arabs are not the same thing. Okay, just like, I'll give an example. Like you have my friends who happen to be Hispanic. It's not the same thing as you see, let's say, Spanish and Portuguese or Brazilians. Because Brazilians speak Portuguese. They don't speak Spanish, but it's still, it's a Latin culture. Just like, you know, you know, Iran and uh, Arabs, they're Middle Eastern, but they're not the same. They're not even ethnically the same. They're, they're totally different. People look at it because they see Islam and they think it, it, they're all the same. People think that, yes, they're Muslim, but they're different kind of Muslims. Just like Protestantism and Catholicism. Okay, both are Christian, both have the same doctrine, but they're not the same. Still, they're not the same. You know, that's what most people don't understand. People don't really see that. You know, they don't really see that because they're, it, it's, a, it's a classification or, uh, you know, you put them in the, you know, it's like trying to put a, a square hole, a square in, a, in, 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 a, in a, a, a hole in a square. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You know, it doesn't just doesn't work that way. Um, you know, but still, but this is the fault of the Democrats. They're not looking at the religion, the doctrines of the religion, the practice of the religion, the dogma, and the idea. Islam is against LGBT. Islam is against abortion. Islam is against, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh <laughs> Forget it. It's not going to even be for feminism. You may get a feminist Muslim, but guess what? Out the door she goes. You may even get a Muslim woman who may, or certain Muslims that want to practice LGBT. Guess what? They're out the door. It's not going to work. Regardless what, it won't, it won't work. Okay? Teenage pregnancy won't work. Abortion won't work. Trying to tell a girl that she can have an abortion without saying anything to her parents. You're asking for hell on earth. Okay? You'd be safe for taking sanctuary in a local church if that happens. Good luck. You're not going to survive. You're not going to, you're not going to make it. Okay? Not even to the next minute or the end of the week or the end, even the end of the day. Or the next hour, it won't work. They won't accept it. And if you even dare, dare to think that you can get away with it, okay, say goodbye to the next five minutes. It's not going to happen. Okay, you will, in, you will open up a box, a Pandora's box you cannot you will never be able to shut. You wish you never opened it. It won't happen. It's not going to happen. The Muslims are not going to leave you alone. Okay, that's it. Regardless what 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 you know what what it is, this is basically the biggest fault of the Democrats. They have they look at every single ethnic group and culture as a chemistry experiment. It's like a science experiment. It's a social experiment. It's not, you know, it, 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 is, it is their biggest fault. Okay, this is basically the biggest fault of them. They don't understand it because they don't see people. They see social experiments. 
They think they can corrupt Islam. You know, you may be able to corrupt some Muslims. You may be able to corrupt some people. But that's already because they've already been corrupted to begin with. But you're never going to get away with it. Period. And if the, even now, you may have corrupted some Christians. There are Catholics who, are, who, who love this. I mean, the other day, what do you call Taylor Marshall had something on a, a Methodist church or some Lutheran church where there was a, a drag queen. Right? Mrs. Douche or something like that. I mean, in in a in a in a and if and in a um, Methodist church or something, I think corrupting the kids. It's, you know, it's unfortunate, but this shows you. I mean, the one thing about the Democrats are that I think. The good part about all this is that people are waking up and they're waking up because the one thing about the Democrats, they're legion and they're also a bunch of piranhas that turn at each other. You can't agree. You can't get them to agree. And this is what happens. This is, this is, this is the the good part out of evil cometh good. People are waking up. People are waking up and it's a good thing. So this is why we need to pray and we need to be persistent. We need to also create a, a, a new Christian culture. We need to create a new Christian culture that is more a culture of faith, not like the same as the past. We're not going back to the past. You know, I know a lot of people who who are rad trans. I'm not against the traditional Latin mass. I'm just against the the attitude and the mindset of rad trans who want to like literally go back to the mindset of the past because we got here. We got here because we became a hubris. Catholics were not aware of evil, of sin, of that much in the past. Because there was a culture where certain things weren't talked about, where certain sins weren't talked about, they weren't acknowledged, and that's how things got bad. Because there was a culture of silence. It's the same thing with Protestants. There was a, Protestants were the same thing in the past. There were certain things nobody talked about. Now we are in the, we're we're in the twenty first century, and we're gonna have to start talking about certain things. We have to start talking about. Uh, sins. Maybe this is one of the good things about it is that we are now aware of evil. We are aware of certain sexual immoral sins that nobody in the past wanted to talk about. Now we can talk about it. Okay? I mean, seriously. Back then, nobody even wanted to talk about uh, being born out of wedlock. There was a time in the 30s, 40s, um, many, you know, for centuries, nobody dared to talk about out, out of wedlock uh, marriage. Nobody talked about certain sinful behaviors. Well, now it's out in the open. And and that's something that's going to change because we have to create a a culture Literally, where the reading from the other day was, everything that was hidden is now brought into the light. If we are to create a healthy Catholic culture, 
everything has to come to the light. Okay? The way to overcome sin is bring it out into the light. All right? Confess the sin. Expose it. Right? And I mean by, in a sense, as a cultural community, individual confessions, that's a totally different matter. But certain things, cover-ups, no more, no more cover-ups. No more cover-ups. All right? The sinner, especially someone who's supposed to be a shepherd and a priest, has to be exposed. Okay? We have to talk about these things. We have to bring them out. That's the attitude I'm against because there's a lot of people like among the rad trads who don't who think just because a priest practices his Latin mass and says it in Latin, it means he's a saint. He's not a he's not a canonized saint, people. Remember, Judas Iscariot was one of them. He he performed miracles. He lived with Jesus and the apostles, but Satan still entered him. Okay? And we got to stop this nonsense thinking just because this guy uh, has, says great sermons, uh, does a great mass, or even says, the, says it in Latin, that that means he's a canonized saint. He can't do wrong. No, he's not God on earth. He's not holier than the Pope. He's not even holier than the Virgin Mary. Stop it. He is not. He, the fact is, he could be the devil hiding. Remember, the devil comes as an angel of light. He could disguise himself as an angel of light. He could fool you too. He just found a perfect home. Okay? you have. We have to be willing to expose sinful people who are corrupting and dangerous. Okay? If you got a priest that, that, that has a strange power over people, that's not good. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's this whole thing of, of uh, the cult of a personality. Wrong. The, the, the community, the body of Christ is more important than the leader. The leader should be, you know, serves the community he should say good sermons he should teach he should be a good teacher but he should be a servant to the people of god he's not he is not the community okay don't let your don't let the sparkles the the image overcome you and make you blind to 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 sin to what's there, obviously. It don't don't let that happen. You know, we need to create. The most important thing is the faith. The faith. And that every single person is educated in the faith. Educated and knows him, his or her faith. And we should make sure that the next generation, that that faith is strong. And, 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 and the faith passes down. Not, you know, not an individual, not a cult of personality. Sainthood, leave that to God. That's, you know, our job is to, 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 to prepare them to become saints, that they have the tools to become saints, but don't canonize someone just because he's a bishop or a priest or a deacon and make them and, and literally be blinded to the truth. Don't let that happen. All right, let's end it here.
let's move on to the creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made, for us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried, and rose again on the third day, in, ex in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. <clears throat> Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, and blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen.